Do you see that? What are you seeing on your end? I see. Watch how the sausages are made. Ask a question two. Raw recording in progress. Uh, okay, excellent. Uh, so are we recording on my end? I hope that we are. It would be nice if I hit play and record. The following episode oh, of Andrea. Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. Uh, so we got the uh, Pro Tools recording backup uh, in progress. We do. We go. Okay. If you're just joining us, by the way, this is just a raw recording. We're doing it for the hell of it. Um, you can ask a bunch of questions, and at some points we'll stop and we'll uh, follow up with your questions. So uh, by all means, uh, fire off a, a note. Um, but we're not going to promote this. Right? <laughs> no. No, we just have this free trial that we're, we're running out. We're, we're running out, exactly. <laughs> From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Is wearing a band shirt to their concert bad form? We'll break down the fault lines in the music industry on this critical, critical issue. It's Daniel Lenoir's birthday. We'll look at the Canadian recording industry guru and his contribution to music around the world. And why the center console on even the highest-end cars suck. Plus, we're giving away a BlackBerry Key 2 smartphone. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. So I was uh, doing what I do now that I don't have a day job, which is I spend my mornings doing business development, which, by the way, is coming along quite well. And then the afternoons uh, after lunch, I do a power walk along Danforth Avenue. And uh, wait, 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 stop. You're exercising. Are you you telling me? No, that's why I'm, I, I, I could you say that again, please? You do a power walk along Danforth Avenue as part of your routine. Right. Well, it, it, when I had walked away from my mainstream media career, the advice I had gotten from Morneau Chappelle um, was stay active. Uh, it'll help with your frame of mind because I was concerned about depression, uh, not because you know, I got fired because I didn't um, or that I got a pink slip because I didn't. But there was a genuine concern about, you know, what happens in your life after you walk away from a career. And yes. so staying active was very top of mind to so many people when it came to mental health. And so I took them up on that. Um, and so as a result, I do this power walk and I walk past the Danforth Music Hall and I thought it was like something out of South Park when I had seen that playing tonight was Beartooth. <laughs> who knew you'd be hated for being who you are and be a big target for all the insecure. Before I even knew that that was what was up on the marquee, I saw just a long row of fans lining up for the show wearing bare tooth t-shirts. Okay. Uh, so they were wearing Beartooth T-shirts. Uh, where are you going with this? I think I know, but where are you going with it? The shirt to show controversy. Right. 
Let me explain where this all came from. A couple of weeks back, two friends and I decided to go see New Order at the Budweiser stage. Okay. It was me, Roz, and Julia. As in Roz, the morning show guy, Roz? No, no, no. This is all women. All women. Oh, okay. Well, you, wow. You and a bunch of women. Yes. I'm a player. Uh, and when we sat down before the show to have some drinks, Julia and I observed that Roz was wearing a 1987 era New Order t-shirt. And we were both aghast. Julia immediately screams, Oh my God, shirt to show. You can't do that. And there is a certain etiquette among certain people that says that it is highly uncool to wear a band t-shirt to a gig by that band. Now, there were some exceptions. Grateful Dead would be one. Maybe there's a few others. But it just looks like you're trying a little bit too hard to be a fan by wearing one of their shirts to a show. The only thing that is acceptable is if you buy a shirt at the show and rather than carry around all night, you put it on over top of whatever you're wearing. No, no. OK, see, I, I, I was with you up until the point where you said that it was inappropriate to wear any shirt from that band. Like if you're talking about something from the 80s, that is a vintage shirt. It wasn't like this was the last time they swung through town. This is literally an artifact. It is, and I understand the sentiment because Roz was saying, no, this shows my devotion. This shows my love. This shows my dedication to this band. I brought out this T-shirt that is 30 years old to wear tonight because that's how long I've been a fan. But Julie and I have this real problem saying, you know, again, it's a bit of a rookie thing. You're trying a little too hard. So this conversation actually spread to multiple tables because it got quite spirited. And we started polling people. Do you agree with the shirt to show situation, which is you never wear the shirt of the band to the show of the band. And we polled right down the middle. 50% 50% said, oh, no, no, you can't do that. The other 50% said, yeah, I can wear whatever I want. You can't tell me what to wear. There's no etiquette to this. So uh, I've actually posted this on my website. By the time this broadcast airs, we will, you know, have the results of this whole thing. But would you like to, would you like me to go and see what some of the comments are? Hook me up with the comments because I'm still pretty convinced that if this is a 30-year-old vintage shirt, this is a whole different matter than something you pulled out of your closet from the last time they were in town five, six years ago. The, the, clearly, you're a diehard fan. Jason Sanguine, though, who's watching us do this as a live stream, is with you on this. Yeah, it again, it's a pretty 50-50 thing. I'm going to look on my Facebook page too. I guess I'll get some different 
so Frank says, maybe I'm just old school, but I always wear an old concert shirt from the band. So he's he's OK with it. Tom says, I don't see a problem with it. Wearing a shirt adorned with the band's logo, artwork and or tour dates can show that you're a fan of the band before the concert. Uh, Kevin says, I'll ask you this instead. Is it acceptable to wear your favorite band's T-shirt if you just purchased it, purchased it at the venue the same evening of the concert? Yes, it is. Uh, long-standing concert etiquette. This is from DMAC. Long-standing concert etiquette states that you do not wear a shirt with the band you're going to see on it. You either buy the new shirt at the merch table to update your wardrobe, or you wear a band that's in the same vein or similar genre, but not a legacy shirt of who you're seeing. Appreciate the new, he says. Oh, oh, when it comes down to it, I'm kind of on your side on this. I think it's kind of dorky to show up with the shirt of the band you're seeing right then and there because it kind of implies that you want you want people to to pay attention to you. Yes. But you can't really fault someone for wanting to show their love of their favorite band by wearing the shirt. Uh, Jeff says, why wear a Blue Jay shirt to the game? You know, I, I, I think that I'm so behind for crying out. For, first of all, OK, I don't get people who wear jerseys like I'm at the Home Depot and I'm turning aisle three and I'm going up the screws and widgets aisle. And oh, my God, it's Josh fucking Donaldson right there. <laughs> Holy shit. Well, no, it's not. No, no, it's not. I just I just find it weird that it's it's somebody's specific yeah. name on the back of it. That that just seems a little over the top. Jeff Dubs points that out though. That would you not wear a Blue Jays gear to a ball game? No, no, I wouldn't. Granted, I wouldn't be at a ball game either, so I really shouldn't be talking. Regardless, uh, Mike says in the metal world, it's almost expected at an Iron Maiden show, seventy-five percent, which is not a validated <laughs> statistic, of attendees will be wearing old tour T-shirts. I thought it was kind of cool that you can relate to the people about. Oh, we can relate to people about previous shows. Okay, all right, fine. Well, maybe it's also a genre thing. Maybe there's something to that. That if you were to show up at a metal concert, wouldn't everyone? be inclined to be wearing something associated with the band. This is from Brian. I normally don't wear the past event shirt to a new event, but there was someone mentioning about a sporting event. Would you wear a shirt for one of the teams that isn't even playing? <laughs> Only if you want to get beat up. <laughs> yes. Again, full circle back to my point that maybe it is more cool to go that full Wayne's World route when it comes to certain types of heavier rock. I, I don't see someone showing up to a Maroon 5. Well, I was going to say, I don't see someone showing up to a Maroon 5 concert wearing Maroon 5, but I suspect everyone really would. You know, I'm looking at some of these comments and... and and the people who are in favor of wearing shirt to show are really angry that it's a thing for some people. Vanessa points out that she's got a personal rule to not listen to the band she's going to see while she's on the way to see that show. I think that's a good idea. I used to have a rule that I wouldn't go to, sh to any show unless I already owned an album from that band. So that way I would know at least something about the group, but I would never listen to that album on the way to the show. Yes. Meantime, um, I was talking to a former colleague. He was a colleague at the time. And uh, he said, to, oh, yeah, I got, I got a guy who's going to get me Peter Gabriel tickets. I'm like, oh, my God, I would love to see Peter Gabriel in concert. Never seen Peter Gabriel in concert. He's sort of the, the male version of my crush on Kate Bush. Okay. Connection I should cut I was feeling 
So the guy says, I'll hook you up. And then I don't hear anything. And a month goes by. The concert comes. The day before the concert, he says, I've got your tickets. Come on down. I'm out at this restaurant. Let me uh, hand them over to you. Then I go down to pick them up. And I'm like, how much are they? He says, $1,500. I'm like, I don't have $1,500 to spend. There's a rookie mistake. Why didn't you ask before you left the house? Why didn't he say, hey, I'm just about to confirm getting you tickets. You okay with $1,500? (laughs) Okay. Uh, And so I call up wifey, and she's got a migraine. She's prone to migraine, so there's no way in hell she's interested in going to see a concert with a migraine. So I'm like, I've got nobody to to give these to or sell these to. She's like, you know what? Give them back to me. I'll, I'll, I'll take them. I'll deal with it. And I felt, oh, my God, this big shot Bay Street type just swallowed 1500 bucks guaranteed. Ugh. But this ties into my next point, which is Danielle Lanois' birthday is the day of this broadcast, the 19th of September, and Peter Gabriel was one of the big acts he worked on. Yeah, uh, him and his brother... Daniel and his brother, uh, had Grant Avenue Studios in Hamilton, a very cool little recording studio with some very cool vintage microphones. It was a little house that he bought, uh, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I've been there. And it's it's a neat little place. And Daniel was uh, you know the house engineer, the house producer, and he produced a, a bunch of weird little bands from, from Hamilton and, and from Southern Ontario. Um, and then he, Gabriel heard about him, and I can't remember why, he told me the story once, but he heard about him and came to Hamilton and said, oh, this this guy really knows what he's doing when it comes to creating these new sounds. And, and back then, this would be the late 70s, early 80s, um, Gabriel was looking for all kinds of sonic experimentation. And having worked with Gabriel, he ended up uh, working with U2 and Amy Lou Harris and Bob Dylan and a whole bunch of other people. And now he's considered to be one of the premier producers around the world. Uh, Plus, he also has uh, a very interesting solo career where he does some stuff in French, some sort of uh, Americana, Canadiana stuff. He had a studio for a while in New Orleans. Um, I do have an interesting Daniel Lamwell personal anecdote. Okay. Uh, when, When I was program director of The Edge in Toronto... Uh, I was hiring board ops, so somebody to push the buttons when the announcers weren't around. My first job ever in radio. Right. I was hiring one like you, and this was like a $10 or $12 an hour job. I was just about to say, it was probably six fifty an hour, wasn't it? It was, it was not. It was, it was an entry-level flow-through position. It got you inside, and a lot of people really wanted to be board ops because that got you behind the board on not on the air but the closest thing to it so uh there's this one guy who is really really keen he wants to have the job and i'm interviewing him in my office and daniel lanwatt appears at the door i can't remember why he was there but he appears at the door and i go oh dan hi uh are you, you wait a minute you called jo- him dan i call him danny oh dan yeah yeah danny. sure why not danny uh, oh, Danny, you're here for the job. And he goes, well, what job is it? And I says, well, I need a, a board op to do overnights and weekends. And he, th- he has a look on his face and goes, hmm, how much does it pay? And he says, well, I could probably get $12 an hour for you. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, he just kind of goes, hmm, let me think about it. And then just wanders away. Wow. <laughs> Meanwhile, the kid's sitting there. Yeah. And he's, he's looking at me and goes, did you just offer the producer of the Joshua Tree a $12 an hour board op job? I said, yeah. <laughs> One man come in the name of love. One man come and go. One man come. 
I was in radio for 11 years, and I had a lot of fun in radio, but I don't think there was one year that was better than my first year, where I knew nothing, I was a sponge, I took every DJ's comment to heart and learned as much as I could about the business while I worked midnight to 5.30 a.m., where you couldn't do any damage to the radio station except burn it to the ground. Right. I was uh, an overnight announcer for a total of, I think, three years in my career. And again, you had the whole place to yourself. There was nobody around. There was a period from about 1 a.m. until 4 a.m., where the, the the evening person has gone home, all the production people have gone home, the morning news people. You're the only one there. I'm only one there. And there was a guy back in the day before me, and his name was Nick. And uh, Nick had a headache, speaking of migraines. And he just couldn't finish his shift. So when the morning show came in, there was a note on the console that said, had a headache, shut, shut off the transmitter, went home. Make sure you turn it back on. You're kidding. No. The most I ever did was we would have these 20, 25-minute tape blocks from time to time. And I would start a tape. I would grab my AM radio, put my headphones on, and walk two and a half blocks away to the donut shop to update my coffee and get a donut refill and listen on the way back, knowing full well that if I was two and a half blocks away and that tape broke, it was a mad sprint back to the shop. I can actually beat that. When I was working in Kenora. Sorry, uh, this, there, this was Toronto, by the way. Oh, I know, I know, but let me, <laughs> let, let, let me finish this one. So uh, Kenora, uh, last town basically on the way to Manitoba on Highway 17. Uh, at, from 7 to 7.45 every night, there was these, these paid-for Bible shows. Uh, when you hear a Bible show on a radio station, they're buying time. Yep. So they are essential revenue to small-town radio stations. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Exactly. So from 7 to 7.30, it was back to the Bible. And then from 7 to 7.45, it was World Missionary Evangelism with Dr. John something and Daughter Yvonne. And that one was on a cassette. So I would get in the car, I would put on Back to the Bible at 7 o'clock, race down to my car, drive to the east end of town, go through the McDonald's drive through race back and make it just in time to stop the tape machine with Back to the Bible <laughs> and to start the cassette machine with World Missionary Evangelism. Wow, that's cool. Oh, I, I have a couple of other things if you want if we're talking about music here. You know what's back? What's back? The keytar. You're kidding me, I love the keytar. Is this the AX Edge? That's the one. Oh, I just looked it up on the Google machine. My problem was, was that I was shipped off to St. Michael's Choir School when I was in grade three, and I was required to play an instrument. And the only instrument that was really available was the piano. And I never considered that to be cool in any way, shape, or form. 
so my only hope in hell of getting any girls later in life was through the guitar. But, of course, I never had the nerve to get up on stage with a guitar. This just shows how how misguided your youth was. Nobody ever pulled any chicks wearing a guitar. No one. <laughs> The AX Edge appears to be discontinued, according to the Roland website. Uh, well, I see it's coming back. I oh, found this. Is- wait a minute. I'm on a new Roland website. They've, they've updated it now. Yes, look at this. Where to buy? Yes, about $1,000 U.S. dollars. we are told. A guitar is basically a dumb keyboard. There's really not a lot of brain power in it, right? Or, or am I still thinking about the keytars of the 80s that were all MIDI controlled, and so there was really nothing going on inside it? No, these the new ones would have uh, a lot of power behind them. This one has all black keys. I know, it's pretty cool, isn't it? It's nuts. I can't believe I'm saying that about a keytar. It, it looks really kind of... It, it looks dangerous. In fact... It looks like an execution instrument because it's, I think it's called the blade. Well, it's it's blade shaped, right? Because it, the 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 body is mostly black, including all the keys. Yep. Most of the presets are in black, but along the bottom, it's got this really sharp looking uh, red piece that you could actually behead someone with this. Yeah, it kind of looks like an executioner's sword. Absolutely. It does. It does. I, th- I, you know, I saw that this morning. I thought, oh, I got to tell Michael the guitar is back. Forty-nine keys with velocity and channel aftertouch. It has three hundred and twenty user programmable tones, seventy-nine multi-effect presets, um, an EQ, eight types of chorus, six types of reverb, a favorite button, and a MIDI master keyboard. So you could use it as a standard MIDI keyboard in addition to its own device. It's got an external storage device, a USB flash drive. Remember back when keyboards had floppy disks? (laughs) I do. As a matter of fact, I used to go to a place called St. John's Music in Winnipeg, and they had a very large collection of keyboards, and uh, they had this one that used an 8-inch floppy, and it was like, oh my god. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there must be like, there must be 250k worth of memory on that thing. As we do this show uh, live to air on BeLive.TV, uh, Richard says that he heard a rumor that Jan Hammer invented the guitar because he wanted a guitar-style solo for the Miami Vice theme. No, that's not entirely true. What happened was Edgar Winter from uh, Frankenstein and um, Free Ride, he used to wear a keyboard around his neck. It was a standard synthesizer keyboard back then. Uh, with a guitar strap. And it was a bit unwieldy because it wasn't balanced properly, but he wanted to be able to walk around on stage with it. And it were it was the people who saw Edgar Winter uh, playing a keyboard this way that came up with a guitar. So Jan Hammer was 1984-ish, 85-ish. Uh, um, Edgar Winter was at least 10 years before that. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. Can I just uh, briefly here address a problem that I'm having with my infotainment system in my car? <laughs> do, do you think that perhaps you can crowdsource a solution from us or something? Oh, I can't. I can't. But I want to. Okay. If you are 
thinking about buying a new automobile, one of the things that you're going to have to look at very carefully is what's in the dashboard. That We are so far beyond the era of aftermarket audio. Nobody goes to a store anymore, uh, yanks out their factory radio and puts in a new stereo. It just doesn't happen anymore <laughs> because <coughs> we're getting some really, really powerful stuff right in the dashboard, right from the factory. And if you start messing with it, you avoid warranties and whatever. So... It used to be that you would talk about a car's handling and its horsepower and whether or not it had power windows or air conditioning. Now, all those things are a given. What a lot of people are shopping for is the stuff in the dashboard. What can the infotainment system do? Sure, it's got AM, FM radio, probably does not have a CD player. My new car does not have one. Uh, the last yeah, car to have... The, yeah, the last car to have a factory cassette player was the Lexus SC430 in nineteen in 2010. Um, so you have uh, radio, maybe satellite radio. You have an aux input so you can plug in your phone. You have maybe some kind of Bluetooth connection for your phone or other devices. And then maybe there's some sort of plug-in thing with a USB cord that can do a variety of things. So I have, uh, you've seen my car. It's, it's a luxury sports car um, by Jaguar. And it has the crappiest infotainment system imaginable. And my wife's Honda works great. Uh, I've seen some Kia systems that are fabulous. If you have a Fiat Chrysler vehicle, your Uconnect is wonderful. Mine is absolute utter crap. How is that even possible that a high-end vehicle like yours? Car manufacturers wanted to, this is the way that when, when things became really... Um, competitive with the dashboard. They wanted to have proprietary systems that would set their cars apart from the competition. Oh, I see what your problem. They didn't want to hand it over to Apple for CarPlay. They didn't want to hand it, hand it over to Google for Android Auto. We're going to create our own system. And of course, the problem being is that there's no way an automotive company can build the user interface and the feature set required that a dedicated company in the consumer electronic space could. Right. So at the heart of all these systems, 99% of these systems is a software made by a company called QNX, which is a division of BlackBerry. Yes, which is the future of BlackBerry as far as I'm concerned. It is the brains of any infotainment system. Anything that you see is built on top of QNX. And so these these manufacturers would go out and they'd hire a company, you know, create an infotainment system based on QNX. At the cool kids, by the way, call it QNX. Cunix. Oh, I didn't know that. And they don't. They really didn't know what they're doing. The problem is a car takes seven to ten years to go from design to showroom. Yep. Seven to ten years. When you have things in, in the technology world, how fast are we iterating operating systems? Every six months? Maybe less? Well, maybe not every six months, but you will get an annual refresh cycle. Well, I just downloaded iOS 12 today. As did I. I have yet to use it. Have you? Yeah, me too. Um, but I'm going to come back to that. So uh, anyway, mine never worked from the beginning. I'm supposed to have some 3G connectivity, which is going to give me traffic information and, and uh, all kind uh, an and emergency uh, communication. Uh, and there was a SIM card built in. Doesn't work. Um, I plug in my iPhone, the whole thing crashes. I've had it reloaded once, and it still doesn't work. I can't. I can use Bluetooth with my infotainment system, but the moment I plug it in with the USB, everything just absolutely goes to hell. So I can't use the native apps on my phone that I'm supposed to be able to use in the car. 
So when are you taking this vehicle back and getting a Honda Civic? Hang on, not quite done. But wait, there's more! Oh, there's more. I've been getting calls from Jaguar Corporate in... in um in, in New Jersey, and the, you know, how's your car? I says, well, the car drives great, great performance, sounds good, looks good, lots of compliments. Your infotainment system is crap. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, what's wrong with it? So I explain. So we've, uh, I'm taking it back to the dealer. So I've had it back to the dealer several times, and I keep getting these calls. I've got one last a uh, couple of weeks ago. And I said, it's absolute crap. It's working worse than ever before. It will, my iPhone crashes it. And he, oh, your iPhone. Can I ask what, uh, what operating system that you have on your iPhone? Go, Why does that matter? Well, can you tell me what, what version of iOS you have? Uh, okay, 11.4.1. Pause, pause, pause. Ah, there's your problem, sir. We don't support anything above 11.1.1. What? You can't downgrade your phone either. But, sir, what I can do is I can give you a list of phones that are compatible with our infotainment system. Well, if you can afford a Porsche, clearly you can afford another phone. Well, apparently, a dedicated, a dedicated phone. So, and I say, are, you're kidding me, right? I, this is supposed to be a luxury vehicle, and it won't work with a standard iPhone? He says, no, sir, and the companies don't seem to be talking to each other right now. Oh, so what am I supposed to do? I bought this car on the assumption that it would work and it doesn't work i am never going to buy anything like this ever again hang on back up rephrase that you are never going to buy another porsche it's a jaguar it's a jaguar Jaguar, sorry jaguar oh excuse me it's a jaguar this screams first world problems dude okay and i know it's 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 a cacophony of tiny little violins Oh, let me play a sad song for you on the world's smallest violin. This is serious. I know. This really is the world's smallest violin. See? And I'm whining about this. So on on this past Friday, uh, a new Jaguar dealership had its grand opening in Oakville. And I was invited. Oh, okay. Well, I'll go because they were going to show off the new I-Pace, which is their new Tesla-type car. It's a very nice all-electric vehicle. And uh, I found myself having a glass of wine nearby Professor Doctor, yes, Professor Doctor Ralph Speth. <laughs> Sounds like a Monty Python character. I, I know, and he speaks with a German accent. Professor Doctor Ralph Speth, who is the chief executive officer of Jaguar Land Rover, with his office on Abbey Road in Coventry, which is where uh, Jaguar is headquartered. And I said to. Miss D- Professor Dr. Ralph, uh, I love my car. Your infotainment system sucks. It's awful. And he was taken aback, and everybody around me, they kind of stiffened, because you're talking to the, the, the chief executive officer of Jaguar. Yeah. And I said, I want redress on this one. So he gave me his card, and uh, I've got it in my hand here. Are you going to demand a new vehicle? I might. <laughs> I think you should. I think you really should. I, I have to tell you, you and I have a very different experience because I bought a car based on the infotainment center console, not based upon the performance of the vehicle itself. Well, I bought it, uh, uh, this car on the basis of both mm. because I am a big infotainment. I use all the features in the infotainment system. Well, you're using none of them at the moment. Well, currently about 50% of them don't work at all. So uh, today, which is a Monday, I've, I took my car in. Uh, to have everything reloaded and fixed. So the car will be returned to me uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, midday, and we'll see after, because I'm now up to 
version 4.2 of the software uh, that runs the info, you know, infotainment system, and it took it apparently takes seven hours to load. Because there's 100 million lines of code or something. Geeks Beats listener uh, TJ Webb writes, he feels your pain. He says he just got a 2018 BMW 330i. He says it's a great infotainment system. It's iOS only. It'll never support Android. And he will never switch to Apple. Therefore, he is at an impasse. I completely understand that. Um, if I were to look at a car and it supported only Android, I'm too deep into the Apple ecosystem to go over to Android. So it's, uh, I, I, I wouldn't do it. I, I just would not do it. Do you want to know how deep into the uh, Apple ecosystem I'm just about to get? Oh, what did you buy? I bought the Apple Watch Series 4 with no, cellular. No, you didn't. I did. After all of that bitching and moaning about how my next smartwatch would not be an Apple Watch, that's exactly what I ran out and bought. And it was like 750 freaking dollars. And I messaged my new accountant for Hainsworth.com Corporation, because I am now a corporation, saying, help me convince my wife that this is a viable business <laughs> purchase. And he's like, it's completely an asset for the corporation. It's required for your day-to-day -day job. It completely qualifies. You most certainly can do that. And we will amortize it over the course of the four years of the lifestyle. And so I, I, I messaged wifey saying, okay, good news, bad news. Bad news is, is I just dropped 750 bucks on the new Apple watch. Good news is the accountant says the company will pay for it and it will fall under a company expense. Yes, this is, um, I've been doing this since 1993, completely legally, completely vetted, never been audited. Uh, and if you are in the business of gadgetry, yep. you have, every, and these are business expenses. It just so happens we like gadgets. You know what it was for me? It was that while the Fitbit was awesome for a lot of different features, it didn't have the granularity that the Apple Watch does. I can filter out, as I've discussed in the past episodes, um, the types of, um, not only the types of notifications I get, but whether or not they're on a VIP list so that I've set it up so that if my pocket vibrates, I know it's not important. But if my wrist vibrates, I know that it is so that I don't have to worry about constantly going to my phone because I, I heard or felt a, vi a vibration and the time suck that comes with responding mm. to notifications as they come in, as opposed to a group of notifications all at once. I'll spend 10 minutes on 10 notifications or I'll spend 10 minutes on one Facebook notification because then you get sucked into Facebook wandering through. So I had set it up so that if my pocket vibrated, I could ignore it. You can't do that with a Fitbit. The other neat thing that you can do with the Apple Watch um, is when you do get a text message, it pops up suggested replies. And and you can just hit a little su uh, suggested reply, whether it be a got it, yes, no, smooch, if it's your sweetie, uh, <laughs> which is a big one for me. I, I manually added that one in as, as an option so that I can immediately reply. You can't do that with any other smartwatch that talks to an iPhone. So that combined with the fact that I wanted cellular because I want the Siri functionality to not rely on my spotty Wi-Fi and my connection to my phone, I want to be able to not worry about it. So, so I, how, does, how does that work? Do you have to buy uh, another phone number? No. What it is, is it's a 10 additional dollar a month charge to your existing iPhone. You just actually go into the iPhone settings for your Apple Watch and adjust it, apparently, okay. so that it adds that feature to your watch and adds 10 bucks a month to your bell bill. Oh, so, so it basically leeches off whatever cellular 
service that you have on your phone. It adds one additional gigabyte of bandwidth download capability because I guess it's anticipating that your watch is going to use some of it. Mostly, I would think, for Siri more than anything else. But it also will work with your earbud wireless headphones. So if you have a Spotify or Apple Music, you can stream directly from the Internet to the watch, from the watch to your ears. I need that. I also need the ability, and I think this is in iOS 12. No, it's not. It will not be. Um, I need the ability to put podcasts on my watch. Right. So this does that. Um, but of course, it's going to require some downloads uh, bandwidth. So there's a gig that gets added to your existing account w- when you do that. I, I, With my point about the filtering out of your capabilities, etc., Jason just messaged to us that I just sold him on the Apple Watch. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you have yours for a couple of months before I make a decision. I, um, I, I'm, mine will be three years old in December and that it's done a really good job. And, uh, maybe it's time to, to move on because I still got the series one as do I. And the series one just told me at seven ten PM that the battery is about to die. <laughs> How long have you had it? Um, the watch I've had since you got it too, but I've had it up and running since nine o'clock this morning. Uh, That's it, eh? Yeah, and this is my concern about these devices: is whether or not I, it wasn't doing this until I updated two updates ago, the latest version of the Apple Watch operating system. So I'm not going to accuse Apple of deliberately slowing down my watch or chewing up my my data or my my battery life, but it's awfully suspicious that at the same time new devices come out, the old ones start to slow down or the batteries start to disappear. I'll watch mine. I've been still getting about 12 hours out of mine. but um, that, that Fitbit dude was giving me four to five days. I was using it for sleep. Still am. I take off my Apple Watch, charge it, and put on the Fitbit so that I can monitor <laughs> the sleep cycles that I've got. Okay. Yeah. All right. We should wrap up because I do have to go to this event tonight. Time now for Geeks and Beats updates. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. We want to say thank you to new members of the world's worst intern program. What have they done? Sheila has pledged $1 per episode, as has Mike Wise, who may or may not be from the CBC, Mike Wise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they, as members of the World's Worst Intern Program, uh, become members of the World's Worst by donating a buck an episode. And it, of course, is the worst because you pay us to work on the show. You don't do any actual work, and the only credit you got is what we, we tell you. I want to say thank you to Chris as well, who uh, edited his donation from 125 bucks back down to one. Thank you for staying with us uh, on the big show, Chris. After we had uh, the big live show, he wanted to be part of that. Yep. And we want to give a special shout out to Mike Tweedy, who's been very patient with us with our clerical errors. He was a big supporter of the live on Facebook Live from Michael's Back Deck Show show. And we didn't get a chance to say hello to him. Uh, He was also uh, following us along with the Big Fan Expo episode as well. Didn't get a credit on that one either. Uh, We're going to blame the Hanoi Screech. At least he is. I don't have any justification. He's a longtime listener of both uh, the podcast and your ongoing history of new music. He lives in Burlington with his his wife and two dogs. They're not terriers, um, but he focuses on autonomous operations and artificial intelligence. Uh, he still has his first generation uh, miracle travel mug of traveling. <laughs> now, here's something that's coming up. You know that um, that BlackBerry Key 2 Android-based BlackBerry with the keyboard that I was showing off on our gadget episodes, our, our gadget gift guide? Right. Um, BlackBerry just messaged me to say, do you want it? Oh. Like to keep? And I said, Absolutely. 
but I'm not going to keep it because I'm an Apple guy. Um, it, awesome BlackBerry-based smartphone, mind you. So if you, not you specifically, but everybody else, if you are a BlackBerry fan and you are interested, I will I will give you this BlackBerry Key 2. But you have to be a member of the World's Worst Intern Program. Everybody who is a member of the program who supports the show gets a raffle ticket, essentially. A $1 is one raffle ticket. If you... If you donated a hundred bucks to the big show, we'll put a hundred raffle tickets in. We'll put it in a digital machine and we'll spit out the winner uh, who will get this BlackBerry key too. So if you are interested in this, go to geeksandbeats.com, click the support the show link. And from there, you can um, either through Patreon or through PayPal, support the show and let us know that uh, you want to be included into the raffle because we don't want to give the device to someone who doesn't want one. But it is a pretty awesome BlackBerry Android based device. There are people who will swear by their blackberries and i bet it works with your jag uh, yes that's true catch all new episodes of geeks and beats wednesdays on itunes and watch for geeks and beats magazine on a newsstand near you to be part of next week's show call area code 323-319-NERD follow the stories on twitter or facebook and get your dose of geeks and beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation. So we'll do this next Monday because I'll be in Vegas. There's no point in doing it when I'm in Vegas. All right. uh, I'll let Vanessa know. Okay. Okay, Okay, man. Take care. See 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 you. Uh, okay, so Alan's gone. Um, if you're still watching, by the way, and it says that sick people are, um, that was just us doing the show. That's how the actual sausages are made. We did a show live from my back deck a few weeks back, which was initially supposed to show you how the sausages are made, but never really did because we just went nuts with it. Uh, that is more along the lines of how we do the show. Um, it's just Alan at his studio, me in my studio. We record about 30 minutes worth of stuff, and then I sort of chop it down. When we screw something up, I fix it up. Um, we actually did have plans for a guest on the, on the show tonight, but the guest fell through, so we kind of pulled this show out of our ass uh, to a degree. So thank you so much for joining us, all six of you, uh, and uh, this is how it's done. We may do something like this in the future, so give us some reaction uh, to this. Is this of any value or interest to you? Um, Because, of course, a lot of the crap that you watched isn't going to make it into the show because it wasn't worth being put into the actual show. So there's a bit of a a raw feel to this, um, which I think is kind of neat. Some people might be a fan of that. You know, we still we just added another viewer here, so I don't know. Maybe um, Alan had to leave, but I got a couple of more minutes before I got to go. So if you want to chat with me about this and um, whether or not you think that these kind of live shows are a good idea, let me know. Um, one thing that someone else had pointed out was that because they don't have a Facebook account, they can't watch this. Um, and so because they can't watch it, uh, they feel sort of left out. They were suggesting Google Hangouts. I'm not a fan of Google Hangouts. It doesn't allow me to do what I just did now with James, which is add a, a comment so we can make this a little more interactive. So, James, thank you for uh, pointing this out. Um, uh, so, yeah, so on, well, okay, so you're suggesting that we do another one to get fresh content on Wednesday. This is when we record the Wednesday show. We record it Sunday nights at generally about 7 p.m. We recorded a little earlier tonight because Alan had to get off to do a thing. Um, and then I let it percolate in the back of my mind for a day or so, take a break. Usually, um, actually, Sundays is when we usually do it. It's Monday now, isn't it? Uh, and so Tuesday, I edit it, and then Tuesday night, put it up just before midnight. Uh, so that's generally how that works. So 
So if you were to watch us do this, you'd essentially be watching a raw version of the polished end of show. So, for example, we were talking about Daniel Lanois and Peter Gabriel and you 2 I'd be hunting for music and sliding that into the show and editing it around and playing around with it so that you get a more polished product. And whenever Alan and I step over each other uh, with a comment, because even though I can see him and he can see me with this little thing that we're doing right here at this moment, generally we don't see each other. So uh, we don't get the body language. And because we're not directly across from each other, that's also a bit of a, a thing. So we end up... He, what he's going to do is he's going to drop box me his side of the conversation that he recorded on his end. I've got my side of the conversation, hopefully still going in the background. There it is. Um, and as a result, it gives us the ability to um, take a high quality version of the show and put it together. But uh, yeah, so that's basically how the the sausages are, are made. So uh, TJ uh, said that uh, he'll always watch these uh, when he's home. So maybe we won't do it every single time. Maybe we'll do it every, you know, every once in a while. I don't know. Um, but this software, this BeLive, is not cheap. Well, it's cheap, relatively speaking. It's about 20 bucks or so a month. But it's also not high definition. It's not 1080p. It's 720. So I don't know if the quality of this is, is sufficient to really consider it for something on a long-term basis. Um, so we'll keep checking this out. We'll keep experimenting. Uh, you tell us what you think, and uh, we'll uh, sort of take it from there. Uh, Jason, thanks for the comment. Great concept. It's unique to get the opportunity to interact with both of you during the recording process. That's a bit of a concern for me, actually, uh, because... It will require me to edit out a lot of the back and forth for the final product, I think. I don't know. I'll go back and I'll listen to this and I'll see if it makes sense. Because if you are a listener who's not watching live, do you really want to get the same kind of interaction kind of sensation? So maybe we'll try to keep the um, interaction to um, the live show and then cut it out of the other one. I don't know. Maybe you tell me what you think, uh, because what's the point of doing this if you don't like it? So you let me know. Um, but that's it. This, of course, is going to stay on our Facebook page, and you can continue to comment, and I'll continue to read the comments because I'll get a notification about every single one of them. So uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, here as we just did this raw live-to-air thing just for the hell of it on a Monday night. Um, take care. <laughs>